Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Hey, Jordan Harbinger here. Subscribe to the only show that will show you how to apply the world's greatest ideas from the most striking minds. After presenting more than a thousand interviews, I couldn't be more compelled to introduce you to the Jordan Harbinger Show. We've got spies and CEOs, athletes and authors from Kobe Bryant to Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Hawk and Howie Mandel to the chairman of Google, founders of LinkedIn and Instagram, antiquities smugglers, con men, brilliant scientists, national heroes, and even the head of the CIA. Listed as Apple's best of 2018 and countless other awards that, let's be honest, you probably don't care about right now. So come and have a listen for yourself and join me as we exploit the superpowers of the world's most incredible thinkers, amazing achievers, and iconic change makers with their insights delivered right into your mind. You'll get that blueprint of their brilliance each week so that you can learn to live what you listen. Subscribe right now to The Jordan Harbinger Show, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you're listening now. Napa know-how. This month, Napa's got all kinds of motor oil deals that can save you some serious cash, like a five-quart jug of Napa Full Synthetic Motor Oil for just $16.49. With savings like that, you may start feeling like a VIP, but don't let it go to your head. These oil deals are for everyone. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Know-how. General states pricing. Sales price does not include applicable state local taxes or recycling fees. Offer ends 831.20. On today's show, we've got a whole bunch of Star Wars behind-the-scenes details for you. Then on top of that, a new trailer for Jumanji, the next level. And then if you've got questions about HBO Max, we might have answers for you today on Movie Talk. Hello and a very happy Halloween to everybody out there. We're going to have a great show today with costumes. I'm not just giving you this Hocus Pocus t-shirt right now. We've got Jay and Silas on the panel and I cannot wait to get to that portion of the show. First up, call sheet though. We're kicking it off with that Star Wars story. So we actually have a double dose of Star Wars reports for you today. And the first comes from Variety. And that one says that David Benioff and D.B. Weiss were actually planning to explore how the Jedi came to exist. Apparently, trouble for them came last summer when Lucasfilm executives and Benioff and Weiss began to see their visions for the films diverging. And then on top of that, there's a THR piece that claims that Benioff and Weiss were also having second thoughts due to what one source described as toxic fandom. Moving on now, and also speaking of franchises going through some reshuffling, we've got quotes from George R.R. Martin worth sharing in regards to the new Game of Thrones prequel series that did get the green lights called House of the Dragon. Here's what he posted on his personal blog. I expect to be involved in House of the Dragon to some extent, and who knows, if things work out, I may even be able to script a few episodes, as I did for the first four seasons of Game of Thrones. But let me make this perfectly clear, I am not taking on any scripts until I have finished and delivered Winds of Winter. Winter is still coming, and winds remain.
remains my priority as much as I'd love to write an episode of House. Next up on our call sheet today is that final trailer for Jumanji The Next Level. So just to recap here, the last film grossed a whopping $962 million worldwide. Now that we've got the final trailer here, we're wondering, could Next Level achieve a similar amount? That's what we're discussing later on today's show. And here's just a little something fun for the holiday. Tom Hiddleston and Charlie Cox are currently working together on Broadway in the play Betrayal. And last night when they met fans by the stage door, they both came in costume for Halloween. And Hiddleston was dressed up as Daredevil and Charlie Cox was Loki. Go check out more photos of that on Collider.com. But I will say job well done, guys. Now for that HBO Max story. So we just found out that HBO Max is going to cost you $14.99 a month when it launches in May 2020. But you might still be wondering What if you're already an HBO subscriber or maybe if you pay for something like HBO now, does that mean that you get HBO Max for free? The answers to that question, those questions vary depending on what you have right now. If you've got any of these questions, I'm going to direct you on over to Collider.com where we've got this handy article for you that might answer some of your questions. Oh, hi, guys. This is just how we're going to do the show today. It's either going to be a lot of fun or an utter disaster. Hi, Jay and Silas. Are you guys okay? Yes. uh... Thank you so much. Perry looks like she's just at home with this. Like this. Perry is a Jurassic Park diehard fan. And for her to be a dinosaur, she's like... This is what I'm meant to be. <laughs> I was made for this costume. <laughs> I was made for this costume and some fine... Fo- it's going to be so hard to check my notes today. Where is my hand? I have notes because uh, the fine folks over at... at oh, I can't read anything. At a universal brand development. They hooked me up with this costume. They know how much I love Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. And they still have a whole bunch of costumes available. They have Dinosaurs in adult sizes and kid sizes too. What size is that? This is their Pteranodon costume, what size? and I assume it's an adult. I'm an adult, right? <laughs> Not an adult costume. <laughs> I feel like we all should have been in these, and it should have been just Dino movie talk. Jay is not going to make it through this episode. I also don't know how we're going to talk about this first topic today, which is super serious. Wait, wait, wait. Before we even get to serious stuff, I promised Dorian that I would kind of throw, throw him a bone with the bread thing because we don't answer too many bread questions yeah. anymore. So, Dorian, I planned Dewey's <laughs> costume ahead of time. You guys know about cat loaf, right? No. You don't know what cat... All right, you got to go home and Google cat loaf, first of all, but this is Dewey loaf. Do we see... Yeah, Dewey loaf. (laughs) So, Dorian, a happy Halloween to you. I hope you enjoy your Dewey loaf. All right, first topic today. I'm going to move back to my notes. We're going to talk about all this Star Wars stuff. So the two articles we're working with right now are the Variety article and the Hollywood Reporter article. <laughs> Jay, stop laughing at me. They're so. I'm trying to look at the screen and it just looks. I can imagine what every viewer who is watching us now sees. Who is like, what is reading the news to me? 
<laughs> you know what? Sometimes you gotta just take a big swing, and that's what Halloween I is mean, for. I mean, like this is a miss, this is a swing and a <laughs> grand slam. Yes, greatest thing. That's how I'm gonna look at it for now. So, first thing I want to ask you guys, because there are so many really interesting points in this that could maybe speak to what we see the next couple of months, if not years, for Star Wars. But I wanted to talk a little bit about the origins of the Jedi movie that Benioff and Weiss were planning on making. Now, clearly something might change with that, but is that a movie you're still interested in seeing if Lucasfilm does decide to pursue that idea their way? I, I think it's one of those things that wasn't entirely a secret. Um, if you look at the, the, the way they have been releasing Star Wars, uh, the expanded universe, everything's a legend now if it, wasn't, mm -hmm. if it isn't in the canon. The Old Republic they have stayed away from. Um, it just it, it feels like there are ancient stories that... Uh, they obviously want to get to at some point in time. They want to make canon. Um, the question I guess now is like, is that going to happen without them? Or like, will they find other filmmakers that will just take over this idea? It, or is it just on the back burner? It, and that's the thing. It's like, first of all, finding filmmakers, we, especially with the articles we talked about. Because one of the things it mentions is like now, art, you know, filmmakers are scared to go into this. Because it's like if you're not following their path, what Kathleen Kennedy supposedly sets out, then you're gone and you have this, you know, public, you know, removal. Like, hey, we, there's creative differences. And like, wait, no, there's not. Like, I want to have an artistic vision for something. You told me what you want to do. If the Knights of the Old Republic is something they're going to do, I guess your safe bet is to do it on Disney+. Plus. Because this way you don't have to worry about what happened with Solo at the box office. Because you may have fans who want to see it. The fan is what's going to get me with this costume. You have fans <laughs> who want to see it, and you have some who may not. So if you put it on Disney+, Plus, it's not a loss. You know what I'm saying? You can do the film. You can get a filmmaker involved. It's on your platform. You're good to go. I mean, it does seem like the future of Star Wars at this specific point in time is Disney Plus and less yep. so on the big screen. Just to talk a little bit about the creative control thing from the Variety article, this is what one of their sources said. It's like if you take a job as a Star Wars director or creator, you're automatically thrown in the Sarlacc pit and your chances of getting out and making that film are so unlikely. You have to almost be a Jedi master. And this is from uh, Jeff Block, a box office analyst with Exhibitor Relationship. And then on top of that in this piece, it says that when Kennedy and her team pitched these filmmakers on joining the Star Wars family, sources say they were promised some measure of creative control. However, multiple insiders said new ideas were commonly shot down as Kennedy and her team were only looking for people to stick to the company line. So I think that is a sign that if somebody else out there, a filmmaker that they want to work with, wants to pursue this particular story, it's still an option. But... Are they going to run into the same problem? And that begs the question for future Star Wars movies, no matter what topic you cover, is everybody going to run into this problem until, you know, maybe the higher-ups change their tune? I'm sorry. I'm just trying to look at Pierce and so sick. <laughs> because I'm so used to when we do this, you can be sick with a one in a dinosaur and it's just going back. <laughs> Dear God, that I cannot read that sign for the life of me. <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh, man. Wow. Please, silence. Oh, this is oh. I'm sorry, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
The question. I'll read the sign for you. The question. Oh, wait, good creative control for. Well, I, you know, let's let's not forget that like Marvel went through this. Yeah. Uh, Patty Jenkins was fired from Thor: The Dark World. Edgar Wright left uh, Ant Man. I. Uh, there is some finessing in finding out how to deliver fictional universes. Unlike something where a director is just coming in and telling a completely unique story, you have a situation where you're trying to contribute to a bigger part of the whole. And a lot of the way it sounds like Marvel works is the producers trying to figure out the movie they want to make and show the director, hey, now make this. It works. I, I, I think Star Wars is having a little trouble getting into that, but I, I think they'll be fine. I, but I, I think the difference, I agree with you on that, because also Ava DuVernay was originally tapped to do Black Panther till she passed it on to Ryan Coogler. But I think when it comes to Star Wars, it's, it's that where do you really want to go? Do you want to stay safe inside this box, or do you want to expand? And the expansion goes to the, are we willing to take this risk? And it seems like when some when these directors come in and they're willing to take that risk, it goes against what's inside this box, that safe space. And that's the problem we're having. Again, Lord Miller being removed from Solo, no matter how you feel about it, no matter how we may feel about it, they were going outside the box with Solo. And now having Benioff and Weiss gone from this project, even though they never started it, but at the same time, you know, they also said in an article, Kathleen Kennedy were upset about the Netflix thing. Because it's like, yo, you got these two, you can't focus on this when you got to focus on that. So it's, can you stay safe? Can you expand? They need to find a happy medium in both. Medium in both. And I don't know if anytime soon they will, because that seems to be a big issue. I do think that there was some truth to the idea of them not being able to do Star Wars and Netflix at the same time. Because when we think about it, folks, and I think one of these articles even mentions this, folks that get deals that big at a specific network or streaming service now, they have history of being able to produce so much content at one time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Benioff and Weiss's claim to fame is Game of Thrones. So I actually think both the stuff they produce at Netflix and the stuff that they would have produced at Star Wars would have been better off with them picking one or the other. But now, clearly, that's not even an issue anymore. But if you guys had to come up with some sort of, you know, behind-the-scenes solution to, to kind of fix the course of the franchise and to make sure that these movies can be made with really talented filmmakers who don't see people leaving the franchise so often as they have been and kind of, you know, turning and not wanting to deal with it, what would you do? Is it, you know, maybe changing, changing who's in charge or is there some other way that they could go about it? I, I also think there's also kind of a, a nice side to this this movie maybe being off the table in that it, it, it helps drive home episode nine as something really special that it may be the last time where it's not the last time we're going to see Star Wars on the big screen. But we could tell ourselves it is mm -hmm. uh, with a, a greater assurance than we could a week ago. Yeah, I mean, I think you just have to let you hire directors for a reason. They have a creative visual eye. You let them know the story you want. Let them tell it that way. If they're, as long as they're not, you know, steering too far away from that, let them do their job. I think that's going to be the biggest issue. You just got to trust who you put in these directorial spots. Hey, this is what we want to do. We need to get from A to B. That's all we need at the end, at the end of the day, A to B. You can sprinkle in these little points here and there, have fun with it, but as long as we get where we need to go, we're good. And if you can do that and you can let the director agree to that and you can make that project and then not look at it and say, well, we got to reshoot 82% of this movie, then 
if you don't have to do all that, then you can have something happen and go forward. Star Wars has an, a universe that is worth being expanded. This is episode nine. Is like you said, it might be the last we see on the big screen, but it's the end of something we've had for the longest. You want to expand this universe? Do it. We don't need necessarily the story of the Jedi and the Old Republic, but you can get it fine. But if you want to expand and go further, you have to take these chances. You have to be willing to risk saying, "Hey, this is not what everybody knows. This is something new, and we got to be willing to let them. Ha- they have to be willing to let that happen." It's so difficult to and come I up with like. At you. God, I want to look at you. So I got it's to so look hard at to one. come up with the proper route for this because initially, you know, my knee-jerk reaction to this was to say, "Well, look at what's happened thus far. Staying within the lines that were drawn for you before hasn't really worked right. out that well." Right. But then, when you look at the films that have hit theaters and the one that took the biggest risks, that movie wasn't especially well received. So. I would think that the risks can be taken, but taken in places that aren't completely tied to the Skywalker saga we knew before. Which, you know, I we obviously haven't seen the origins of the Jedi on the big screen, but I, I do think it's a very difficult line to walk, whether you are completely removed from the characters that we know so well, or if you're just dealing with the things that they used in those movies. I think that uh, you know the more I think about episode nine and, and what it has to get to is is this idea of this eternal balance between light and dark, and there's a sense of well, the same thing is going to keep happening again, and that's present in the new trilogy. It is tricky from a narrative standpoint to say like, oh yeah, well it doesn't really matter what you do because these same things are going to happen. But we see the Mandalorian, the new trailer, launching into sort of saying exactly that these universe is going to go through these patterns but i need to be my own person i need to do my own thing that's really exciting to Mm. me i'm gonna wait i'm just gonna stop you know dancing around the elephant in the room do you do you think that this is specifically a kathleen kennedy issue do you think me yes well do you do you think that she all right i'm just basically voicing my own opinion in this question so i'll just put it out there first Mm -hmm. she has a very useful skill set when it comes to producing Mm -hmm. but i'm going to repeat something that i have said on previous shows in order to work around some of these creative issues that are being discussed in this article i still think that one of the best possible situations is to pair her producing skill set with someone who is an expert in star wars storytelling and is able to take these risks within reason Maybe yeah. like a Dave Filoni. Or a Kevin Feige. Or a Kevin Feige. That's what everybody said. Put have Feige help her to rebuild this. Like I get, yes, you're you're Kathleen Kennedy, you you've been entrusted with this. But you need to be you're building this out more and because you're not willing to take these risks, this is where you keep falling short. Kevin Feige has taken risk. Some have fallen short in the MCU. We know this. There's no doubt about it. But at the same time, the reward is paid off at the end. When you brought up The Last Jedi. That's because it was still part of a story. So when they took a real big risk in that, what Ryan Johnson did, it was part of a story you were going to. So it's hard to take that big of a risk when you're concluding a new trilogy. You're like almost there to concluding it. You're like, here's the middle step. Now we got to go to the next one. It's hard to take that risk. Now when you go to the next trilogy or whatever, you can take these chances. The Skywalker saga is done. Now we build from there. Now you take these risks. Yes, you may lose some original fans, but the possibility of gaining new fans and gaining new traction along the way is something she has to be willing to see. Okay, now we got to add in the extra little bit that we teased up top. This part comes from that Hollywood Reporter article, and they said that Benioff and Weiss were having second thoughts about jumping into Star Wars due to what one source described as toxic fandom. 
Do you think that really is an ongoing issue for the Star Wars film franchise where any director out there or any producer for that matter might give pause before jumping in? Or could this maybe have stemmed from, you know, not only Star Wars pressure, but all of the backlash to Game of Thrones? And it's just a Benioff and Weiss Weiss issue. I I mean, absolutely. I I think even talking about Kathleen Kennedy, I think she's an easy person to vilify. Um, But the fact of the matter is that you... How people view franchises has been changing, and Marvel is, is a big reason for that. And a lot of other studios have tried to imitate that pattern, mm-hmm. uh, despite the, the, the false steps that the Star Wars franchise has had over the past couple of years. They're not failing. They're still delivering yeah, yeah. movies that make a lot of money and that people really enjoy and that are putting something out there into pop culture. <laughs> I think the fact that, yes, fandom plays an issue. And it's not just Star Wars. It's all of them. Marvel has toxic fandoms. DC, Star Wars, Star Trek, everybody has it. And people will say, well, if you don't make bad movies or bad TV shows, you're just going to have that bad bunch no matter what. But the fact that you had Ryan Johnson come out vocally speaking about toxic fandom, even though no matter how you may feel about The Last Jedi, yes, I'm looking directly at you all in the camera, no matter how you may felt about it, He's like, yo, it's this toxic fandom that's a problem. Some people are not going to like a movie, plain and simple. You're just not. Everybody doesn't like everything. But the way fandoms have become, it's like some people, directors are human beings at the end of the day. Regardless if they're a celebrity, public figure or whatnot, no one wants to be able to, people want to go on their social media sometimes and enjoy interacting with people. I don't want to look through all my mentions and it's all hate, death threats. They want to go into their DMs and it may be some positive notes, somebody showing them some things, somebody trying to holler at them. Not just, I hope you get hit by seven buses. All that, nobody wants to deal with that consistently. So that becomes an issue as well, yes. And also, this is Dr. Feelgood. Yes, I have a lab coat on, scrubs, and my stethoscope, and I'm doing vitals. And the, the, the dinosaur here is the greatest thing I've seen so far. <laughs> What's Jay's problem? <laughs> All right, let's move into a different topic, something that's a little lighter and more fun to talk about. There's a brand new trailer for Jumanji out there, and it is the final trailer for a movie that it could do very well later in the year. If we remember from the last Jumanji movie, it's not like it opened up and it like blew the doors off the box office. It was about longevity. So Mm -hmm. looking at this trailer, the promo campaign thus far, the buzz, do you think that this Jumanji movie has any chance at all to match what the last one did? Longevity-wise, probably not. I think because the other Jumanji was a shock. Again, you hear it's Jumanji, and you're like, Kevin Hart, The Rock, Karen Gilliam, Jack Black. You're like, all right, what what can this be? And the people saw it, and everybody was like, I got to see this again. I think that hype behind it is gone. People will go see this in droves, but I don't think that longevity at the box office as it had last time will... I don't think that longevity it had at the box office last time will stay the same. I'm... You hear him. I'm excited for it. I, I'm curious because, like, in some ways, the last Jumanji was another Jumanji after a very, very long time of no Jumanjis. And it was something completely different than the Jumanji we all knew. Uh, this is very much a sequel to the last Jumanji. Right. Um, and it looks fun. Uh, 
Oh yeah, it looks. It does look like a lot of fun. This trailer actually made me made me laugh a couple of times. It's just like it's an enjoyable adventure that I want to continue to spend time with, and I think the part where I laughed out loud the most was like the Nick Jonas and the horse part. It's just like little (laughs) little things like that are gonna get you. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like if I was sucked into Jumanji. This is what I would look like. <laughs> As I almost demolished the set. But without being able to like use my computer very well. I want to see I, like, I'm excited to see Kevin ridiculous. Hart. I'm excited to see Kevin Hart and The Rock do their variations of what Danny DeVito and Danny Glover would be. Just to see Kevin Hart like, move a buddy. And just The Rock going different the way he's trying to be Danny DeVito. That's what interests me the whole thing. Like Jack Black is just going to be Jack Black and that's always great. But to watch those two play those two iconic characters that it says give their iteration of them, I'm, I'm here for that. I'm going to give this movie a little hope right now. So I can't really check the release calendar, so I don't know how accurate this is. But how long ago did we get the last Jumanji movie? It was... What was it? What was the big movie that it was up against? It was Last Jedi. Was right? it? La- yeah, okay, Last that's Jedi. what that's what no. I thought. So it was Last Jedi, and wasn't that also right around the time that The Greatest Showman had a very similar opening and run at the box office? Towards the end of the year, towards the holiday weekend, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I think that if they play this right, and especially if they use the talent that they have, which is like huge, huge talent, to keep people talking about it, I still think that even though we have another big Star Wars movie heading, if this thing is good. Or as good as the last one? I don't know. I I can kind of picture a very similar performance happening. But can it beat cats? First of Isn't all, that the burning question right now? <laughs> if you want to see the stuff that nightmares are made of, ladies and gentlemen, it's called cats. Did you see Rebel Wilson's cat and Idris Elba's cat and Jennifer Hudson's cat and Taylor Swift's cat cat? That's going to have an album. That you cat. do know when that movie comes out, you're going to rush to see it. Whether it's for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, you're going to see it. you clarify it. I am so excited to see it, admittedly for the wrong reasons. But hey, I like to be surprised. So there's your challenge, Universal. Give me a good Cats movie. All right. I have something good for you right now. And it's even better than this costume. It's Linda Hamilton. Linda Hamilton was our latest guest on Collider Ladies Night. I hope you check out the full video. But we got a clip for you right now. Is there any specific moment shooting this film that you said, I can't believe how stunt work is done today on Dark Fate compared to T2? Well, to the better and for, for the better and for the worse. How because, so? well, there were more stunt women. I really got a little crazy trying to m- micromanage because, I mean, to every detail, like, she can't be the back of me because her wig needs cutting. Like, I'm not going to give one moment away that doesn't seem real. So, like, okay, you have to be on a wire here and go down this hill. And we could have Debbie do it because it's just the back of you. And I'm like, nope, Debbie needs her haircut. Like, you know, I'm like, I'll do it. And I didn't do it that well. But, you know what I mean? I just, you don't want that one second that's going to break the audience concentration. Or then there would be the stunt girl from Hungary that they'd hired. And that's a whole different school, old school of stunts where... Uh, you know, and uh, the, the girl is doing good work, but it's real old school. So she's in a car accident and she's flinging herself around, selling it. And I'm like, 
no, 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 Sarah Connor does not thrash. <laughs> like, yes, you sell it, but you don't look like you're an out-of-control rag doll because this is Sarah Connor. Like, you know, it's so hard to not get in there. And it's not so much that I'm a control freak, but more like I just, I owe Sarah Connor the dignity. I don't want to disappoint her, you know. So this was the one film that I've done where I was kind of that person. I was protective of every moment. And I couldn't be there because it's a larger film and they're off in Spain doing little stuff. And, you know, it just, it, it, was, it was really hard. Seriously, Linda Hamilton is the coolest. Please give that full video a watch on the Collider Interview channel. Right now, though, if you haven't noticed, it's Halloween. So we wanted to do a little uh, movie talk right now where we give you some Halloween movie recommendations. And not only is it Halloween, but we're also nearing the end of a decade. So we decided to put together a list of our three favorite horror movies of the decade each. So we've got three to run through each right now. Silas, kick us off here. So the first one that popped in my head was uh, Cabin in the Woods, mm. uh, which just was so much fun seeing for the first time, having no idea where it was going to go. And for a, a smaller movie to then, in the, the final act, to have so many creatures was just super cool. Um, that The second one I chose was uh, Green Room, uh, which is kind of a non-traditional horror. I, I love monsters and weird science type things. Green Room is entirely real-world it's about a bunch of uh, like punk rockers who are traveling around the bus playing shows, and they get the offer to play at a uh, like a white supremacist compound, and wind up something happens, and they are trapped in the green room with these creepy, angry guys led by Patrick Stewart. Uh, it's just so incredibly tense. It's and so I love good. It. Can I say something before you say your last one? Yeah. This pick made me so happy. <laughs> So my, my last one uh, is Final Destination 5. Um, yes, I like this one. And as I was looking at the list, I was thinking like, oh, well, you know, The Conjuring launched this universe. There's a lot of horror universes that I love. Uh, Final Destination 5 closed out a horror universe that I loved, and it really belongs to the previous decade, but it wow. does so with such style and grace, which is not something you normally get from the fifth chapter. I, I don't want to spoil the ending, but it has one of the great twists of any horror franchise. I think that's what make that one a good one. Okay. Even though it's fairly old now, I am still very hesitant to spoil that twist because it is one of my favorites yeah, of it, all time. Because it, it makes you want to almost do it because you got to tell people, like, this is what you'll like about it. And the people are like, well, it's been this long. You're like, nope, I need you to watch this movie to understand. That is it. one thing where it's like a piece of connective tissue that was so easy to get so wrong and they just nailed it. it. They did it. Perfectly. The way you it say went. that's the end of a franchise, though. I don't think so, and I don't think it should be. I think we need to get another Final Destination I movie we ASAP. I can't. I can't remember how official some of these rumors were, but I do remember when Final Destination Five came out. I think they released like a concept uh, teaser with Final Destination: The Dark Ages, which is like a Final Destination scenario taking place like way way back when, which I think is genius. Yeah. Cuz death has always been around. Either that or I want a Final Destination movie that takes place on a movie set. Like I want them to go Scream 3 with it where they get like extra meta. I just want them to apply it to whatever movie people really like. Then you make a sequel to that movie but it's set in the Final oh, Destination, Destination universe. universe. 
I could talk about Final Destination ideas all day long. But, Jay, I'm not taking the time away from you. Your your list made me, because you always say, like, you're not as into horror as us, but you came up with a really good list here. So my first one, of course, is Get Out. That movie transcended everything to watch what Jordan Peele brought. It is not a comedy. It is a horror movie because it is what a black man would literally go through. And Lakeith Stanfield's performance will scare the soul out of you, if nothing else. Uh, So that's about that. The second one is The Crazies. Yes. I remember the first time I saw this, I was like, wait, what is happening and the fact that you see people are literally going insane, and it's basically the government making everybody kill everybody. Have you ever seen the original one? No, I've it's, not. It's one of those ones where, um, as much as I respect the original, it was definitely in need and worthy of an update. And I just thought what they did with this, I, they they knocked it out of the park. I love the style of it. I love mm. the scares. And this is, I think, what was it, 2010? Yes. That year, this was one of my favorite movies of the whole year. And this is also one of my favorite trailers of recent years, too. If you haven't seen the trailer for The Crazies, I forget what the name of the song is that they use in it. But now whenever I hear that song, I just think about that movie. Yeah, they show the baseball field scene in the trailer yeah. with, the, with the guy with the pitchfork walk. I, I remember that. And the last one I picked is something a lot of people didn't see, but when I, the only reason I found out because I was at a premiere for a movie I was doing and it was playing in the same theater was Raw. I kept hearing about Raw. I didn't know what it was. And I was like, okay, this can't be that bad. Oh, God. I, I was like, wait, this is really happening. And I, like, I didn't care that it was in French, I believe it is. I didn't even care about all that. When you start seeing that with the, the relationship with the sisters and how everything comes to be, then the family, when you see all, I'm like, yo, this so is trip. Now, I was going to put Teeth on there, but I didn't want to hurt nobody's soul early. Well, teeth, the- I think, might be 2009. Yeah, Teeth is like right before. See, that was I, the so thing. I don't when know you if said- that counts. Yeah, when you said this decade, I was teeth like. Teeth is great, though. Teeth is terrifying. <laughs> teeth is great. No, it is the most terrifying thing to ever hear. And the saddest part is when you see the one scene where the dog goes, ah! Because oh. he know the dog knows what's about to happen, but teeth is. But that's another. But yeah, Raw is one of my is my movie. Such a good choice. Because I always will tell people when I'm on Elm Street Three Dream Warriors. Please make sure you <laughs> of go see you that. Of course you do. I was watching that uh, the other day. Um, I'm going to start off with a movie that Silas already briefly mentioned, and it's The Conjuring. The Conjuring was kind of a game changer for mainstream horror. I mean, it not only did it launch a cinematic universe, but I think it proved to some naysayers out there that you could have like a sky high quality horror movie. That was that was my favorite movie of the year in 2013. I am always rooting for James Wan's success. He is such a kind individual and he's so passionate about everything he does. And the fact that he can come like he's come up with this is obviously based on the Warrens and their experiences, but He's come up with so much, like, original, stylish stuff. I just love the path he's carved for himself. And now I'm also loving how what he did in The Conjuring is influencing that entire universe and seeing new directors, up-and-coming horror directors, use some of his style choices and make it their own. I just think that's really making for some high-quality horror cinema right now. The other movie I'm going to bring up is It. That's probably one of the more obvious ones on my list. Mm. 
I was so thrilled when that hit theaters in 2017. And one, it was a good adaptation of a book that I loved so much. But also, I was just really thrilled to see how it kind of bled into, you know, pop culture overall. That wasn't just a good movie that did well and we moved on from it. That movie created, like, a little bit of a craze, whether it was a, you know, a craze over creepy clowns or just that cast. And that young ensemble is so super talented that, I don't know, I was just so thrilled to see, like, everybody in the internet rally behind them and I don't know the fact that they continue promoting this movie by hitting the concert and how excited people are to see them I think that just further proves that it was not only a good horror movie it was also a great coming of age story about like this this kind of uh, family of kids who come together in a time where they really need each other so it is on my list as well and then finally I wanted to come up with something maybe a little out of left field and I'm obsessed with the movie Sinister. I will never forget seeing Sinister for the first time because I don't usually go home and get creeped out after a movie or keep the lights on or anything like that but I I remember like being like physically like shaken after that there was something about Bagul and the look and and also the the archival footage that's left behind of what he does to other families like that is like vicious scary stuff and I'll never forget when the movie came out I, I think it was uh, Scott Derrickson or Jason Blum one of them was doing some sort of horror trivia thing on Twitter in order to win a signed poster from Sinister for them and I won one and then when it got to my apartment I, I got it framed and I hung it up. But there was a split second where I'm like, you know, B- Bagul's likeness is on my wall. And the movie already told me that's a bad idea. So maybe I shouldn't put it there. But it's still there. And I still have it on my wall to this day. <laughs> have you ever seen Sinister? No, I haven't. I felt like, who knew what I was pointing at just now? I, I had no clue. Just, I just figured it's you in the costume. I'm letting it be. <laughs> I feel like you might, you might think it's too much. But it's really, no. really well done. Oh, the movie? Yeah. I'm I'm all for, like, I don't give, I, I want, like, horror movie. I remember as a kid, I used to watch those 80s horror movies with my mom and stuff like that when I wasn't supposed to. The ones that had all the guts and gore and blood and horror and things that make you terrified oh. as a child to go to sleep. So I'm for movies like that. Let's do it. So I was going to wait for a minute to jump into live chat stuff, but someone's writing that Mike Flanagan tweeted earlier today he wants to do uh, a Final Destination movie. Apparently, him and uh, Devin Sawa are going back and forth right now. Oh, my. So so Mike Flanagan writes, all right, Devin Sawa and uh, and the, the year of felon. Let's do this because it is a great idea. A Mike Flanagan-directed Final Destination movie would make me the happiest pteranodon on this planet. <laughs> I already thought you were the happiest to write down on the book. I might be, but that would make me even happier. Okay. It's also so funny. I, I am blanking on Mike Flanagan's uh, wife's name, who is in uh, a lot of his things, Haunting of Hill House. Kate Siegel? She looks so much like, uh, uh, now I'm blanking on uh, Kristen Cloak, who was the teacher huh. in uh, The First Final Destination, yeah. who was married to Glenn Morgan, uh, who was one of the writers. Don't for That's a whole bunch of connect. But here's what? the thing. Devin Sawa's character technically is dead. Like, you find that you out. You got hit by a brick. You got hit by a brick in the face. <laughs> like, they don't show it, but they just tell you it happened. I still feel like it all started with him. So if that movie, whether it involves him or not, gets his blessing, I don't know. That makes me happy. How do you... I, Maybe the government is trying to manipulate the forces of death, so they put out the story that he got hit by a brick because he's, he's really actually still alive. in a secret government experiment. 
Like they oh. did Claire when they put her in that when she put herself in that uh, insane asylum, their mental room where you couldn't have anything. She kept herself in that with that padded white room. I don't know if I want if I want them to go that. I just love the simplicity of like something happens and then death is coming for you. I feel like all you have to do to spice it up is just change the time period or change the opening setting or the group of people you're working with. You know what Final Destination has done? It's made average people not want to do regular things. Like nobody nobody can drive on a freeway or a highway and see a truck of logs and not go, "Uh uh-uh, I'm getting off. My creative brain has gone well beyond that where I do think about it and all the familiar scares that I see out in the real world. But like like if this microphone fell over right now, I would be like, that's the start of Final Destination. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't get on roller coasters. I don't I don't want to be on a... I'm not going to see a race, uh, a NASCAR race. I'm just not going to do that. That's just not in my soul. But the one thing I thought they were supposed to do with the death scene, because they did the bridge, I thought they were supposed to do a cruise ship. I feel like that might have been something that was rumored at some yeah, point, because that does they, sound very familiar to yeah, me. Yeah, because they, they did the plane, they've done everything else, like a cruise ship would be one of the next ones. But like, we saw the Titanic already, so it's like, how do you show us every death on the Titanic? Just I mean, curious. after the Titanic and the survivors that were supposed to have died. And now they now. die again. That's Ooh. not a bad idea, actually, tying Final Destination into like a real thing that happened, like a revisionist history type thing. I don't know. That could be interesting. Mm. Maybe not specifically the Titanic, but something out there. Um, What's your favorite kill in Final Destination? Any movie in the series? Oh, oh, my favorite kill in Final Destination 1. When Terry, when when, uh, Carter is trying to whoop on Alex... And then Terry's like, well, if you just want to keep whooping on Alex, you can just drop and then just goes out the street and the bus just smacks Perfectly timed kill. (laughs) Just a perfectly timed kill. Good. My favorite and, and my favorite entry in the franchise is Final Destination Two. Uh, Me too. Oh, and yeah. it's the Jaws of Life death. Oh, that's a good one. It oh. is. Th- this woman is driving a car, and and something has come through the window and has just missed her. And you're like, oh, the danger's the danger's safe, but because the car crashed, she's stuck there. So they get the Jaws of Life, and they're cutting her out. And the airbag goes off, and her head is knocked back into the thing that went through the window. And it's just like. You don't see it coming. It's it's like you thought the action was done and that you have a minute to pause and all of a sudden <laughs> it's horrible death of a character you didn't think was going to die. Yeah. You thought she would have made it. But the dude in the beginning, the lucky dude, the one who won the lottery in the beginning of the two, the one that his ring falls down, the dishwasher shoot, the microwave explodes, he lands off, he slips off the fire escape on the yeah. spaghetti he throws out, and then the fire escape ladder impales him. That was one real-life thing that I took with me to the streets of New York. When I, Whenever I would walk underneath a ladder like that, I'd always be like, oh, please don't fall on me. Yeah, you're like, no, nah, I'm good on I all think that. I have to go with a character you already brought up. I think the Val Luton death scene is probably one of my favorites. It's just because it's one of those ones that's so drawn out. It's so slow. The music choice is perfect. And, you know, it's just like, you know, it's coming for her. But there are so many steps to it finally being a done deal. And then also how that loops in. Because, like, a lot of times with some of these horror movies that uh, add in, like, the cop aspect, I'm like, that part's going to stink. But the way that that moment also frames Alex, I don't know. I just think that serves the movie overall very well. The girl with, I think it's four, the one that gets LASIK. Five. Is it three or is that five? Yeah, five. once she goes get LASIK, like, 
I I'm never con- getting LASIK. I'm man. never getting LASIK. Like I go, yeah, I got contacts in. I was like, you know what? I'm good. God don't want me to see. I don't need to see. I don't need nothing from no. And the fact that she gets the teddy bear and all that, she squeezes. I'm like, mm mm. No. I never really went tanning. I maybe did it like once or twice in my life, but that's all I will ever do because of Final Destination Three. Thank you, God. Don't need to do that. The Lord has blessed me with melanin. Okay. <laughs> all right. Let's uh, try to read some questions here. This is going to be extremely difficult. Sorry in advance. I'm also not screening any of these, so anything can happen right now. Philip Music is asking, what was your favorite candy when you went trick-or-treating as a kid, and is it still your favorite? Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Yes! It definitely is Reese's Peanut Butter Cups, but I also, like, loved houses that would give, like, like a little rubber spider or something that wasn't even candy. It was like, I'm so happy you said rubber spider and not like an apple. Right, I, was like, they gave away fruit. I was really afraid for a minute you were going there. You know, how does they give away fruit? They thought about the children's health. I like those I like those spider rings. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, as a kid, it's also nice to have something that you can keep after you're sad that all your candy is gone. But I'm with you. Reese's peanut butter cups. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the only answer to this question. Did you ever did you ever know anybody, either one of y'all, anybody that ever got poisoned by candy? Because you know how oh parents Oh my god, no. Because your parents used to always say, make sure you check your candy. Like somebody might pour or I was always told somebody gonna put razor blades in your candy. And I was like, if somebody puts razor blades in my Reese's peanut butter cup and I don't catch it, I deserve to have whatever happens <laughs> to my mouth. Right, right. Because just no. On a lighter note, how, where do you guys stand on candy corn? I like candy corn. I like it's not something that I'm going to run out and like buy or be like I can't wait to eat candy corn, but I feel like it's part of the season and I, I like having it around. You I know quite what? Like it. If I'm at a Halloween party it's there and I've had a lot of tequila. Guess what? I've been vibing candy corn. <laughs> I don't think I could do a Yo, thumbs I'm up for candy that. corn yeah. right now. <laughs> it's good. All right. How about the prince that wasn't promised? What are your favorite Star Wars? Dorian, it's like I am just. Like, I can't screen the bread questions now, and I've already started this one, damn. The prince that wasn't promised is asking, what are your favorite Star Wars bread-related puns, Return, such as Return of the Bread-Eye and The Emperor Strikes Back? The last bread-eye. The new... A new... When Luke's call sign was bread one, or bread five, and... Yeah, I feel like red and bread is an easy way to go. Um... Hmm. I can't think of one. You've got to. You've got to. Dorian. You might want to turn around, Perry. Box me and turn around. Turn Who's around. behind me? Oh, my friend. It's <laughs> <laughs> definitely Mark Riley in there, isn't it? What? That's how this works. I watched him walk in the door and got scared to him. All you had to do was offer him a hug. All you had to do was offer him a hug. I almost beat myself, and she's just like, my friend, no! Wait, let's get one more. Okay, wait, I want to find a Halloween-y one. All right. Here's one from Alex Cavaness. Oh, no, this is a marathon one. I saw Halloween. With Perry running her first marathon and it being Halloween, oh, who do you think would finish a marathon first, Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers? Oh, I feel like I'm deflating. (laughs) (laughs) Who would win first, Jason or Michael Myers? Jason. See, I I would say Michael Myers. Because I don't think either of them are going to be particularly good. But if you told Michael Myers, like, hey, 
Laurie Strode is at the end of this marathon. He's gonna get there. Whereas Jason is just gonna wander off and start. No, if you told Jason there's a naked white teenager having (laughs) sex at the end of the finish line, he will be there. I'm gonna go with Michael Myers because I feel like Jason would run the whole thing, but then when he got to the finish line, it's like Michael Myers would just like step out from the side and be like, "I'm here now." (laughs) All right, I think that's the end of this Halloween episode (laughs) of Collider Movie Talk. Thank you for bearing with us through this. Let's give another big thank you to Universal and Rubies for this really fun costume because yeah, you made my Halloween dreams come true. (laughs) One day, in on maybe. Like in a while, in honor of Jurassic World three, I think we should all return to the set and we should all be a different dinosaur. Please, I will, is that not the best? Creative I just want to be ever? the gold one. I don't want to be blue. I want to be gold. The one that has gold stripe in Jurassic World two Fallen Kingdom. I want to be that one. Then I just walk around. Just <laughs> yep, yep, that happened. All right. Maybe that'll happen. Maybe it won't. We'll see. Guys, thank you so much for spending your Halloween morning with me. I I think Adam's in the booth right now. Thad, thank you for helping me with this costume. Dorian in the live chat, thanks so much. Bread Dewey says, happy Halloween, too. I hope you guys have a wonderful holiday. Please stay safe. safe. I need to go. I need to go and run a marathon. I'll be back on Monday. Roka is steering the ship tomorrow. Like and share this episode of Movie Talk. Bye-bye. Napa know-how Get all the quality parts you need at your locally owned Napa Because right now, when you order from Napa online You can pick up curbside at your local store in just 30 minutes Or get your order delivered direct to your door with free one-day shipping and over 160,000 quality parts when you spend $35 or more. Quality parts delivered quickly and safely. That's Napa Know-How. Napa Know-How. At participating stores, standard ground shipping and exclusions apply. It's that little Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide. And I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive. Brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 